Today we're going to be talking about a functioning church member, a functioning church member, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today, and as we do, we're going to be looking at spiritual gifts. Now when we think about some of the best gifts that we've ever received, when you were a kid, you know, it was more on the side of what we might say frivolous gifts, gifts that are just, where it's a gift given, we, get a, we receive a gift that's just fun, it's for the sake of fun, right? And as we get older, we start getting more functional gifts. We start getting those, like, I remember my uncle would always get tools, and not until I was older, I'm like, man, that is a good gift, you know, when you know how much tools cost, and you need a tool, and I have my three-time borrowing rule, once I borrow something three times, I better just go ahead and buy it, right, you know, that sort of thing, and so we start getting those more functional gifts. Sometimes we still get frivolous gifts, though. I have to get in my one reference here, of course, you know, knowing that football season is starting again, and knowing that you, you, many of you know I'm such a Cowboys fan, what a big Cowboys fan I am. So, you know, I got some Cowboys gear over my last birthday, but it does nothing to top Valerie. If you've ever noticed Valerie, who's singing right here, she actually has cowboy-themed Tom's shoes. They're actually Cowboys shoes, and she's got her blue and white on. No, it wasn't a coincidence. She's ready to go because the Cowboys are playing their first game. You Chiefs fans, I mean, you guys had a great start last week, too, or this, this previous Thursday. Great start. You guys are looking good. But, you know, as you get older, your gifts get a little more functional, Right? Sometimes we give gift cards. My father-in-law is fond of saying, hey, just get me a gift card. There's nothing better than spending somebody else's money, right? So he's like, a gift card is fine. But as we get older, we get more functional gifts. One of the most functional gifts that I received was actually a gift that I got for myself. Okay, I got a picture here of it too. Look at this. Put this up. You guys have any idea what this is? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I bought that for myself. That is, that is exactly what you think it is. It's a cell phone holder. It's like a gooseneck cell phone holder that you can lay down in your bed, and it kind of comes over like this. So I was noticing my neck kept getting sore because I would like, like to read in bed, whether it's a physical paper book or a book on my phone. I like to read in bed before I go to bed. Well, I, I could tell, and you know, I'm not a chiropractic expert. You know, I leave that to Camera and Christy and Ian. But uh, I kept getting a sore neck, and I said, it has to be that, you know, laying in bed for a lengthy period of time. Basically, if you can imagine, that's what I'd look like. That can't be good on your neck. So I found one of these things, and so, yes, I have that on my bed. And, yes, I was also made fun of mercilessly by my family. But I'm standing strong, I'm sticking strong, and I use that thing to read. And so, yeah, it hangs right in front of my face so I can just be laid flat like this on the bed and read, and I just have to tap it and change the page. Yes, that's right, functional gifts. But today we're talking about being a functional church member, meaning we are a church member that's not just here to receive. Yes, there's a lot that we receive. When we're part of a local church, one of the great benefits that we have is, yes, we get a recharge. We come to refuel with relationships and study of the Bible and of worship and fellowship just being together. But there's far more that we're called to than that as being a part of a a local church, being a member of a local church. And so part of that is serving, and we're going to look at specifically today, serving using what's known as spiritual gifts. I want to start by doing this, though. Last week, we defined what it means to be a church and what it means to be a church member. But I think this quote by Tom Rainer does a great job of framing how we should look at church. Church is not a social club. Church is not a place for us, a country club, a place for us to come and to pay our dues and get our perks. But I love this, this quote here. We're going to put it on the screen for you. So Tom Rainer says this, the head of Lifeway, our, our Southern Baptist publishing arm, says this, for some, membership is about receiving instead of giving, being served instead of serving, rights instead of responsibilities, 
and entitlements instead of sacrifices. Now, luckily, luckily, I know that for our church, almost all of us, most of us do not have this view. But here's the thing, from time to time, we can all kind of slip into this unintentionally of thinking that church is, is, is about receiving instead of giving, and about uh, being served rather than serving. All of us can kind of slip into this habit. So it's always good to be reminded of this, to be reminded of this. Yes, when we come to church, there is something that we receive. Yes, when we come to church, we are being served in a way, undoubtedly, because if each member is looking outside of themselves and looking to serve another, then guess what? Everybody's needs are taken care of. We use our gifts, as we're going to be talking about in just a few moments, and we use the Spirit of God within us, and we use the the nature of Christ growing within us to serve others. So here's the thing. If everyone is serving others, then yes, we too are being served. We too, as we come back to gather together, as we know a church is, is not to be a cruise ship, as we said. We said that one of the the tried and true illustrations is not a cruise ship, but a battleship, that we are battling sin and darkness in our world with the good news of the gospel. And I love an updated version of that illustration, which says that really a, a church isn't a cruise ship, but it's more like an aircraft carrier, that we as the planes, if you will, if you follow the illustration, the aircraft, if you will, we go out into our world, wherever it, got, wherever it is that God has called us, as we individually are on mission in our neighborhoods, we're on a mission in our places of work. We're on mission sometimes within our own families. We are going out to take the good news of the gospel to make and mature disciples. That's what we're doing. And we come back, if you will, to the aircraft carrier. Sometimes the illustration falls apart. You don't want to make an illustration walk on all fours. But we come back, if you will, to the church. So yes, to be refueled and recharged when we gather together. But we have to have the view that being a member of a church is about serving not only our fellow church members, but serving the Lord and serving the lost of the world that we might lead them to faith in Christ. And it's not about getting, but it is about giving. It's about giving. Here's the other thing I want us to remember. A non-serving member of a church is really a biblical oxymoron. There's no such thing from a biblical perspective as a member of a church that's not serving, that's not serving others. You see, we're meant to be a collective, a body, as we're going to see the illustration here from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are a collective, a group, a unit, a body that is called to serve one another and also to serve in our world. And as we do so, we're on mission. So here's the thing we're going to look at before we jump formally into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to put it on the screen. To accomplish the mission of making and maturing disciples, remember Matthew chapter 28, that is the great commission, that's the mission that every church and every Christian has been given from time and eternity all across the globe. Our mission and our only mission is to make disciples, see that people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So to accomplish the mission of making and maturing disciples, every church member must be a functioning church member. Now, again, does that mean that we don't come at times and there's a season in our life where we're hurting, we're carrying burdens, as we sang about just a moment ago. We're carrying a great burden, and there's a time in which we're really licking our wounds, and we need our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside us and to serve us and to care for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. But guess what? There's going to be a season in life where that same brother and sister is going to be licking their own wounds, and it's time for us to serve them. Not only that, it's time, and at all times, we're called to have our hand on the rope 
of accomplishing the mission of making and maturing disciples in God's plan A, no plan B, plan A, which is the local church, the local church. But we say to ourselves, I just don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I have the tools necessary to help and to be of vital importance and of help in this mission of this local church or any local church that I might be a part of. I just don't think I have what it takes to accomplish this mission and really be a vital part of this. The answer to that, the biblical answer to that, is a big resounding exclamation point of absolutely yes, you do. And we see that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. So again, this is the letter to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a port city in ancient Greece, and we know there was lots of issues they had because they were very much wrapped up in Greek and Roman culture at the time. And so there were these people being miraculously saved out of this really uh, backwards and deviant culture of the day. And so there is this, some great struggles, great struggles of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a church, and what it means to be a local member of the church. And so Paul is writing to a great degree two of the longest letters that he writes, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. There's good evidence. There's probably two others as well that we don't see recorded uh, biblically. But great deal of writing to these, to these believers here in the church of Corinth about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to serve him wholeheartedly, what it means to serve your fellow believer. And he gives this wonderfully beautiful illustration of using what we've been given, every believer in Jesus Christ has been given to serve one another. You see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're a Christian. We talked about that last week. That is what, there there is no other definition of a Christian than someone who is born again, the very words of Jesus Christ, who has come to that place in life where they have repented, again, the very words of Jesus, they've turned away from their old way of life and said, Jesus, take control of my life. I turn my life over to you. I know you're the only way to forgive me of my sin. I turn away from my old way of life and I turn my life over to you. I can't make that decision for you. Your parents can't make that decision for you. It is a personal decision that each and every person who walks the face of this globe must make to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. When we do, here's one of the great realities, is that the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit, takes up residence in our life. 1 Corinthians, earlier in this very book, in chapter 6, says that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our life. Our life, our body, is His temple. And as we do, the Holy Spirit works in our life he works in our life to help us to, and to shape us, one, to become more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. It's the work of sanctification. It's a big word that simply means the Holy Spirit is moving us practically in our lives to be more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. But as that's happening, there's many functions of the Holy Spirit in our life. One is he convicts us of sin. In the same way, before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, that he convicted us of sin and, and, and showed us with great clarity that, yes, I need Jesus Christ for forgiveness. And Jesus Christ is the only way. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin in our life when we fall short of God's, God's glory and his standard. He also encourages us when we need encouragement in life, challenges us to continue to grow and continue on that path of growth and discipleship. He leads us, the Bible says, by illuminating Scripture. So there's nothing that the Holy Spirit will tell us to do that is not in absolute accordance with God's Word. Why is that? Because it's also very clear in Scripture that that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, 
God the Holy Spirit was the one that was leading and the one that was guiding the hand of the very writers of the New Testament Scripture. So we can't say that, okay, the Holy Spirit's telling me to do this, but eh, it doesn't quite fit with what God's Word says. No, the Holy Spirit is illuminating, shining a light upon Scripture as we dig into Scripture daily. That Holy Spirit in our lives, who is not a force, he is a person, begins to shape us and mold us to be more like Jesus Christ and to empower us, to empower us for serving in the local church to accomplish the mission of making and maturing disciples. In so doing, God in his great wisdom gave each and every one of us at least one special gift of the Holy Spirit so that, yes, you too have a place in the local church to serve. So starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this, For as the body is one and has many members, so he says, as the physical body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So he's speaking not only the church universal, but the the primary application of this, which is the church local as well. When you look at all the references in scripture of the ecclesia, the gathering, the church, overwhelmingly, it's a reference to this, just like we're doing here. And just like many of our sister churches are doing all over Wichita and across the globe, which is we are gathering together in a local body, a local church. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. So the very first thing, very simple point that we have right off the bat of this first section is just simply this. We are one body. We are one body. So he says that it's one body. It has many members, if you will. When you think about your body, your body has many different parts. We know this is very clear. It's one of the most straightforward illustrations we could possibly think of. But yet we work together as a unit. We work together as a unit. You know if you're sick or if you have any sort of issue, ailing issue, you know your whole body feels it. You just feel like you're suffering. You think about the last time that you were sick. Or you think about the last time you sprained something or really twisted a knee or broke something. Your whole body feels it. Yes, the pain, the issue is only in that one specific part, but we are joined together. We are a unit. And when he takes this into into kind of sort of their everyday practical context, thinking about that first century context, he says, whether you are Jews or Greeks, slaves are free. Think again about that first century context of which he was writing to. He was writing to those that were saved in a port city, a port of call, a major metropolitan city of the day. When you had all sorts of nationalities that were there, you had all sorts of walks of life, different strata of life. And even, in fact, you had some that that were still in indentured servitude and some that had come out of that and some that were free. But he says, no matter what you believe defined you in the past, no matter what culture you believe was your primary defining culture, he says, God has drawn you out of all of that. God has drawn you out of all of that. And guess what? Your identity now is not whether you're a Jew or a Greek, slave or free, but your identity is Christ. Your identity is in Christ. So he says we're all baptized into one spirit, into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, slaves or free, and we've been all made to drink in one spirit. So here's the thing. He's teaching a little bit about the gift, but he also addresses the gift earlier in the book. He's also saying, don't use your gifts. Don't use your gifts as a point of division. 
He said all of the possible walls of division that mankind can create have been broken down in the midst of your local church because you have the greatest bond, the greatest bond that anyone could ever see, which is the bond of Christ. You've, all of that has been dissolved. Don't set up the wall again by being divisive over the spiritual gifts that you've been given to serve. Now, here's what's really interesting, I think, about that. How often, when was the last time we actually had a fight over in a, in a local church over who has what gift and who's exercising what gift or the other? I think one of the almost positive, roundabout positive things you could say for the church of Corinth is they were actually exercising their spiritual gifts because it was actually a foothold for the enemy in the midst of their, in the midst of their church to use it as a point of division. Sometimes I think we don't have that rub, not because we've got everything figured out, but oftentimes because we're not using our gifts like we should. But also he says, a reminder, he says, we've been baptized into one body and we made to drink. We have the greatest bond that any two people, any group of people could ever have, the greatest bond, which is the fact that we've given our life to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes up and takes residence in our life. If you've already worked with any strong adhesive, you know how it can just get sticky and all over. I had a, a headliner. You ever, ever had your headliner fall in your car before where it starts to droop and you're driving and you know you're doing this whole thing and trying to push your headliner up? If you don't know what the headliner is, it's that cloth in your car up on the roof of your car. Well, I started to droop in my Jeep and I finally got around to saying, okay, I'm going to look up the YouTube video. Thank goodness for YouTube. By the way, I've talked to professionals, you know, that, that have their professionals in certain trades. And I've talked to them before, and guess what they do when they get stuck? They go to YouTube also. Isn't that funny? They go to YouTube as well when they get stuck on a particular thing. Well, I went to YouTube, and I looked up how to replace a headliner, so I did it. I got it all laid out, scraped off all the stuff, and I got this really powerful for that adhesive. And sure enough, I started spraying it on there, and luckily it looked pretty good, except for there's a couple of spots. I've got these sort of built-in speaker circle mounty things, right? And, and so I was trying to smooth it around there, and luckily it's on the backside. No one can see it, but I know it's there. I got this little wrinkle because that adhesive is so strong that when you start smoothing it out, if you don't get it just right, and obviously one that doesn't work with car upholstery a lot, I don't have my touch down, I don't have my skill down, but I got this little wrinkle in it. And once it happened, it's done. It's done. It is, it is adhered to one another. Well, here's the thing. You think about that bond or some of the great other bonding agents that we have. There is no greater bonding agent than the fact that we know Christ as our Savior and as our Lord, and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in our life. So wherever we come from, whatever walk of life we come from, no matter what our background is, we have far greater bond than whatever potential divisions there might be, and that is the bond of the Holy Spirit. So one body, one body. Also, very clearly, he says, and very clearly we see in verses 15 and 19, we have this great bond of having one God. The second point, one God. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand and I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Just because he claims, hey, I don't have my place here. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were hearing... Where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all as one member, where would the body be? He's saying, don't be jealous of what others might have. Don't look enviously at what others might have. And I think, again, one of the testimonies, I'll give them almost a compliment in a roundabout way. They were actually exercising their gifts. 
to the point where they could see these things being visibly used within the church and to the point where the enemy was now pushing buttons and saying, well, they're serving, they're actually using their gifts, so where can the division come? Well, I'll make one jealous of the other. I'll make one jealous of the other. But we see this sort of incredible illustration, really a humorous illustration, in fact, of saying that, well, if, there, if all of the body were of the same part, where would this other function be? Where would this other function be? We, in fact, wouldn't be a body. See, I love this picture here. Some of you may remember these old commercials. This is the best one I could find. It's a little grainy. You remember these commercials? They're Afrin commercials from a long time ago. And it was the idea that, you know, if, you're, if you have a cold and you're having nose problems, you just feel like you're an entire nose, your whole nose. It just, it's just your whole life just revolves around my nose is draining or it's stopped up or something. I've got a sinus headache. And as silly as this looks, this is exactly the, the illustration that Paul was using for the Corinthian believers. He was saying, don't look at someone else as to what they have. God gave you exactly what you needed to serve in the local church. In fact, verse 18, he says, but God has set the members. It's not, it's not by random happenstance. And if we are saying that, gosh, I desire what someone else has, or I desire to serve in that way, we're essentially saying to God, God, I don't think you have it right. I don't think you know what's best. I wish I had this other gift. But no, God has set the members. He knows and has given you each one exactly what you need to be a serving, vital part of this local body of Christ. So again, where would the body be? Where would the body be? We cannot discredit ourselves, which is more likely, discredit ourselves or others. We cannot look at ourselves, and as a church, we cannot look at one another based upon our usefulness. You see, that's the very thing that the world does, isn't it? We talked about that before, if you remember, all the way back into Genesis chapter 1, when we looked at the value of life that we were created in the image of God. Unfortunately, our culture, when we begin to devalue human life in our culture, it's because we begin to look at human life based upon the value, that we value them based upon their, uh, their ability, based upon their, their, uh, their usefulness. And so we in a church must be different. Not only ourselves, but others. We cannot evaluate and look at one another based upon our usefulness because each and every one of you have incredible, extreme usefulness within this local body. One body, one God, and one need. One need. Verses 20 through 25, it says this. Now, indeed, there are many members, but yet one body. He kind of comes back to this again. And when the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. So we can't discredit ourselves, but we also can't discredit one another either. I have no need of you. Nor again did the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which are less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And in our unpresentable parts, we have greater modesty. You think about it, even just the, just the fact that we adorn our, our hands and our feet, we adorn our hands and our fingers, those things that may seem unnecessary. We adorn those things with jewelry. We adorn our shoes with feet. In fact, we know that an opposable thumb is very important for having tools. So something that may seem so simple as a thumb, it's the thing that we need to, 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 to build and to use and to be useful with tools. And in fact, some of the weaker things, some of the things that might not be so presentable, he says, we in fact bestow great honor upon those things. But our presentable parts, we can't say that they have, or the unpresentable parts, we can't say that they have no need. 
So whether he was talking about internal organs or whether he was talking about reproductive organs, either way, these parts of the body are veiled, whether it's veiled in skin or veiled in physical clothing, but yet they are extremely important to the functioning of the human body, we know with internal organs, and the reproducing of humanity when we think about reproductive organs. And so even those things, even those things have great function. And so he uses this again as an illustration to say, to you, it may seem like, you're, like you don't have your place. To you, it may seem like, well, I don't have, the, uh, I don't have as much importance to this local body as, as do others. But each one of us, each one of us uh, meets a great need, meets a great need. So he said, so um, you say you don't have a lot to offer. You say you don't have a lot to offer. But really, when we look at, the, at, at, at Scripture here, when we look at this illustration given, when we look at the truth behind it, no matter what you think you may have to offer or the very little you may think you have to offer the world, in the place of the church, in the local church body, each and every one of us has a great deal, a great deal to offer. One need, one need. We meet the needs of others. One victory, one victory. We all come together. We all have our hand on the rope. We all have a great place and we all share in the victory of the gospel. Let's look here at verses 24 and continuing here. But God composed the body, having given great honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, no schism in the body, but that members should have the same care for one another. The members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member suffers, then all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and yet you are members individually. We don't lose our individuality at all when we come to be part of a local church, but it is enhanced by the fact that we make up, we are an important part making up this local body to make sure that we carry out and we have the one victory of the honor given to Christ and we receive honor as well by, by carrying out and taking the good news of the gospel to the world. You see, he says, if one member suffers, this tight bond that we have, that we are one, if one member suffers, we all suffer. Have you ever heard of phantom pain before? Someone that may have lost a limb, maybe you've seen a box like this before. I've got a picture of it here. Have you ever seen a box like this? This is what's called a mirror box. And uh, what it is, is if someone has lost a limb on one side, let's just take a hand. If someone has lost their hand, sometimes they have phantom pain. If you've never heard of this before, they actually can feel, even if I've lost my right arm, they can feel sometimes like they've got a clenched fist. And you can imagine how miserable that must be. So there's a revolutionary treatment. You see it um, used quite a bit now of, of a mirror box. It was used experimentally at one time. It actually worked. It probably doesn't work for everybody, but it works in some cases where they'll put the, the hand that they actually have retained in this mirror box like this, and they will actually make a fist, and they'll open the, the hand like this, looking at the mirror, so it's almost like you're tricking your brain into thinking that you're opening the hand that's missing. And, and it's one of the treatments that works with some people to deal with phantom pain. But we know this is a, a, a big deal. Whenever we lose, whenever you lose a, a, a part of the body, it is a, it is a great deal. It is a great, tra uh, great trauma to the body. And in the same way, if we, we should have such a tight bond, that's tight bond that we share in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working together arm in arm to take the gospel, that when we feel that one member of the body is suffering, 
that we feel it. Now, we know in a, in a setting like this, in a church of this size, and many churches that are much larger than us, you can't possibly know every single person as well as you know some. But we should have, as we look back a few weeks into our, our sermon, vision uh, sermon series, we should have true, authentic relationships with some in our church, many in our church, that we are there for them. When one member is suffering, another comes along, another comes along. So not only do we have one victory, but we have one goal, one goal as well. One goal, again, of, of, of making and maturing disciples. And again, we look at this specific list here of things that he's given us. It's not exhaustive by any means. But he says, these are things that you've been given in the church that you might accomplish this goal, this mission of making and maturing disciples. And God has appointed to these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, some of these leadership roles that we see. And after, and after that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. And by no means do we take this as an order of importance. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do you all have gifts of healings? Do you all speak with tongues? Do you all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way, which in fact leads us to what we're going to look at this next week. In the love chapter, as it's known, remember that chapter speaks specifically of love within the local church. But this one goal, you know, there's another companion passage to this of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and a couple of other places as well in Scripture. And none of these lists of the, of the gifts of the Spirit are, com- are completely matched. There is some overlap, and neither list is exhaustive. And I love what John MacArthur says, one of our great Christian thinkers. He says, this implies a palette of basic colors. Basic colors. He gives this illustration of the use of the gifts of the Spirit. It implies a palette of basic colors from which God selects a blend unique to that particular person. So it doesn't mean that every person is going to have each and every one of the gifts listed in Scripture, nor does it mean that we're only going to have one necessarily. But it might be something that we see here represented in one or two or three of these that, that God uses to blend to, to, into a basic, unique hue for your service in the midst of a local church. By the way, I'm going to put something on the screen for you. I want you to write it down. The, uh, the actual URL was a little complicated, so I want you to write down this very thing. Search Lifeway Spiritual Gifts Inventory. I'd like to always give you a little something practical to take home and to do. That's the better way to find it whether than giving you a complicated URL. There's a spiritual gifts inventory which you can take, and and it's something that helps you maybe identify what spiritual gift or gifts that you have that you can use in the local church. Now, this isn't gospel. This isn't isn't 100% accurate. Honestly, one of the best way, I always tell people, the best way to discover spiritual gifts is is to get out in the midst of the local church and to serve. Get out in the midst of a local church and to serve. Ask those as well as, as you're doing it, while you're serving. Ask those with great biblical wisdom, what do you see What do you see uh, as maybe a gift of mine that, that's been given to me by the Holy Spirit to serve in the local church? But this is a good tool to look at. This is a good tool to look at. So I wanted to give you guys something very practical there. But he says, apostles... Apostles, in the most formal of, of sense, it's the inner 12 of Jesus Christ that followed him in his local ministry, plus Paul and some of his associates that we see from Scripture as well. In, the, in some of the most informal sense, we can see that as, as its true sense of the word, which means sent out ones, sent out ones. And, and we often see this reflected in what we might see in our local or our 
are modern-day missionaries across the globe being sent to some of these first-light areas, some of these areas that have never received the gospel in any sort of significant way. We might see it there. Prophets, special revelation. Some would believe in what's called, and I want to bog us down and bore us with anything here, would believe in what's known as cessationism, that some of these gifts have come to a close at the end of the apostolic period or the biblical period. I don't see anything very clearly from Scripture to state that, so I hesitate to, to, to say that that is a certainty. But when you think about some of these things, like, like being a prophet, prophet, when we look at the course of biblical witness, it is the sort of thing that one can say, thus saith the Lord, is on par with any sort of offerings of the very words of God. And so some will say maybe that ended at the end of the apostolic period. But if we take it in the most informal of senses or uh, in the heart of, of what's being said here and what's in the word, could it be a drawing of one's attention, one of the other functions of a prophet throughout the Old and New Testament, of drawing the, the people back to, drawing the people back to the truth of Scripture and holding, their, and, and holding them and, and, and challenging them to hold to the truths of God's word. Teachers, teachers, much like a Jewish rabbi that we see, it's kind of the, the local church, the, the, the model of the local church being based upon Jewish rabbis who were charged with teaching doctrine that was so important for the living of life and, 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 and living as a Christian. Workers of miracles and healing. Some of these things, we see reports of these from the mission field, some of these first light missions. Some of these, these stories you hear come from those that we say aren't given to fantasy, aren't given to mysticism at all. They're just really biblically conservative people. Then they go to the mission field and they say, I never saw anything like this in the States, but I've gone to this first light missionary, missionary area where there's no uh, gospel witness. There's nothing there. And you see some things that just cannot be explained by natural consequences. Nick Ripkin, which is a pseudonym, if you've read his book, the insanity of God. It's a, it's a, he is a missionary. He's one of our Southern Baptist missionaries in a, in a heavily Muslim culture, so obviously he has to write with a pseudonym. And he tells multiple stories. One of these really strikes you of a man, a Muslim man, that in a dream, Christ came to him in a dream and said, you need to go in this certain town and seek out this man, this man who, who we know as, as, as Nick. And, and so this man travels 29 hours and knocks, he has these directions, knocks on the door, and, and Nick leads him to Christ, and many things like that. So you see some of these things in, in some of these first light areas where the gospel witness is few and far between. Helps assisting others, assisting in the church. You say, gosh, I'm someone that I just don't know if I can lead something. Well, you know what? You might be surprised. You might be surprised, but there is more than enough place and a great importance for those that just say, I want to come along and just help in any way I can. Administration, one that might lead and guide. And then different kinds of tongues. Again, always in the biblical witness, you see that these are tongues of an intelligible language, which we know are to have an interpretation as well. Oftentimes, uh, these things could be seen in, in, the, in, the, in the biblical account in that apostolic age in those first light areas. But whatever it may be, and again, this is not an exhaustive list, nor is Romans 12. Whatever it may be, you have been given at least a gift, at least one gift that God blends together for your service in the local church. And you say to yourself, and we kind of ask ourselves this question, this is always a good place to be, when we say, why does this matter to me? Now, that might seem kind of cold and calculating, right? That might seem kind of crass because ultimately this matters because if I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, 
God has, is, has, has given me the incredible gift of salvation. And out of gratitude, I will do whatever he has called me to do. Jesus Christ indwells my life. The Holy Spirit comes up and comes and takes residence in my life. And so it matters to me most importantly because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who has been given the role and responsibility to serve in the local church. But yet we still ask the question, why does this matter? First of all, I alluded to it just a moment ago. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of obedience. And can we really think that God will bless our lives in, its, in the most fullest of ways that he would have for us, the most fullest sense, if we are not serving him, if we are walking in willful disobedience and not serve, not using our gift to serve him? Ultimately, it's a matter of obedience. And ultimately, it's a matter of gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done. We have been saved from our sin, and we've been placed in a local church so that we might serve one another, when we might serve God and we might serve the lost of our world, we do it out of gratitude. You say, Pastor, you know, honestly, let me be honest with you, Pastor. I come to church for things that can help me in my daily struggles. That's why I come to church. That's a, I understand that. And that is a large portion of what a local church is to be. We are to be one that we dig into God's word we, we draw out, we draw the difference between just kind of common cultural wisdom of how we might deal with these issues of life, and we expose those things of culture that, that aren't right, that don't meet the standard of, of God's truth. Yes, we do those things. Yes, it's part of what the church does. But here's the thing. Do you think your life might be more fulfilling? Do you think that no, those things won't go away? God never promises us a problem-free life. But what if we're to do it God's way? What if we are to live by God's word, and as part of living by God's word, we say, I am going to serve in his church. I'm going to use my spiritual gifts, and I'm going to order my priorities to serve in his church. How do we think, how do we think that will have an effect upon those issues of life that we so struggle with? Will they go away? Not necessarily. However, could it be that as we prioritize the issues of life and we say, I'm going to do it God's way first, that maybe some of those things begin to dissolve into the, the sidelight. Could some of those struggles dissipate? Some of those struggles dissipate if your life is properly ordered and prioritized. Does it mean that life is going to be problem-free? Absolutely not. But sometimes we may see that some of the issues and struggles, some of the feelings that we have, some of the things that just really trip us up in life, those things might just kind of fade into the background. If we say, my focus and my attention is on this. Some of those legitimate issues that come, come our way, some of those really difficult things that come our way, as we serve God and we serve his church, we are strengthened in the knowledge that, man, I serve an awesome God. I serve a wonderful God. I serve a God that even though I can't see the end of this particular issue, I know, I know he is there with me. As we serve, as we serve in the local church and we, and we have our hand on the rope of serving in God's context, then maybe some of those things really begin to clarify for us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing as we close. Membership is not about receiving, but it's about giving. Church membership is not about being served, but it is about serving. Let all of us be functioning members, functioning members that as we do, we are functioning in the local church, that we have our hand on the rope, making and maturing disciples. Let's pray. Well, God, as we come to you now and we look at um, the great gifts that we've been given, it's one of the things that we often neglect in the midst of the local church. We don't say, how can I, how can I serve? What, what, do I, 
what have I been gifted with? What has God given me to, to, to truly be one that sacrifices on his behalf? God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we do have a great serving membership, but we know that there are times where we can all kind of slip in and out. There are times where um, we, can, uh, we, can, we can forget that primarily we're here to serve one another. And as we do, as we serve our God for his glory and his honor, we serve one another and we serve the lost of the world, but guess what? Our needs are taken care of as well. God, would you help us to remember that? In Christ's name we pray, amen.